0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hi, you guys. Oh, my gosh! Do you love the reopening post-lockdowns? I mean, this is amazing, right? We're all running around. We're so happy to be out and about. But the one thing that we've still stayed in to do once a week is to bring you these really kind of life-changing, everyone talks to Liz stories, podcasts. And I have an amazing one for you this time. Okay. So I want to ask you this question. What's the biggest driver? Okay. Second biggest driver, or at least one of the top biggest drivers for any entrepreneur wanting to change the world, or in other words, disrupt an industry that's desperately in need of change. And you guys know that at Everyone Talks to Liz, we not only love bringing you great American dream heroes, but we also obsess over these against all odds business leaders, people who set out to create or just totally blow up an industry, just as everyone else, sometimes their own mother, can you imagine, says, can't be done, give it up, go get a real job. We found this checking all the boxes in Marlo Hernandez. Marlo emigrated from Cuba at age nine, not knowing a word of English, got here to the United States. And as he got older, one of the first things he noticed is what I guarantee a lot of you deal with in your life, the struggle to pay medical bills with little or no medical insurance. So he sought out to change that. But before he could even scale that mountain, He had piles of personal debt. He went to medical school, so I'm sure he had medical school bills, right? And a business plan that he needed to write and then rewrite and then rewrite again and again before anybody would take it seriously. We have to hear this story. Let's welcome the founder and CEO of Cano Health, Marlo Hernandez. Welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz.
1: Thank you, Liz. So honored to be on your podcast. Um, Just uh, incredibly grateful for the opportunity.
0: Oh, my gosh. But see, that's that's very much the spirit of what a lot of our guests have, and that is they're grateful every day just to wake up and take another shot at sometimes failure, right?
1: That's right. Uh, And I think what distinguishes folks that uh, perhaps uh, excel beyond the average is one word, persistence. It's not being above average in terms of intelligence or certainly not a genius. Once uh, you just have the basic essentials, the difference is always made by persistence, by finding that passion and not stopping at anything until you have been able to achieve your objectives and as you were talking about the introduction just flashbacks of the last 10 years and beyond that the last 20 and, and so forth as i think of my own parents who are great inspirations for me and my own story that's really what has always made the difference persistence
0: well also you know you talk about everyone starting at the same starting point or gate, so to speak, if you're a racehorse, right? You actually didn't start at the same gate. You were born in Cuba and you had to immigrate to the United States back in 1993 at the age of nine, not speaking a single word of English. That kind of puts you at a deficit in a way, does it not? I mean, what was that world like when you first got here to the U.S.?
1: Well, yes, You're right, I was born in Cienfuegos, Cuba. It's a port town. And by the way, I've got to say, there was a disadvantage to coming to the country and being a refugee and having to learn a new language and having no guidance in this country and no monetary resources. But I've got to tell you about Cuba. I have very fond memories of growing up because I had a great, loving family who gave me everything they could and taught me the moral principles and ethos of hard work that I carry to this day. They pushed me to dream big, to work hard, to excel at everything I did. Uh, But uh, sure, uh, there was a lot of challenge uh, coming. To the country, but even more of an opportunity. As you know, Cuba is a cruel communist dictatorship. The government has managed to ruin a once thriving country over a couple of generations. There is no liberty. There is no hope. Uh, you generally cannot leave the island. The currency is not worth the papers printed on but the United States, a US passport, that is one of the greatest blessings someone can have. So coming here and into the country, I was just wide-eyed, incredibly impressed um, by the opportunity of the country, by electricity, by running water, by ACs in the school, the fact that there was an edible lunch, that the fact that there was no rationing and that I can speak my mind and I can learn of any subject with no restrictions. So I think my childhood was an advantage, not a disadvantage compared to many.
0: You see that in and of itself indicates how you think differently. And you do not look at mountains as real problems. You look at them possibly as adventures. I, I don't mean to speak for you, but as you, as you started to grow and grow up, you come from a family of doctors, correct? How many generations?
1: That's right. It goes back to really the 19th century in terms of medical profession in Cuba and then beyond that in, in Spain, and some other countries. Um, curiously, enough, my grandparents uh, escaped from the Franco dictatorship in Spain to go to Cuba for freedom. That is an <laughs> irony for sure. Okay. As, and uh, that didn't work out as planned and hence I was born uh, there, but yeah. Uh, long history of uh, just being in public service and medicine in most countries, and certainly in, in this one as well, is a public service. It's a profession that you're dedicating your life to, to make the lives of others better. And in my immediate family, my brother, mother, and wife are all dentists. My mother in particular has always been an inspiration in my life and a reason why I became a doctor today. Um, I also have to say um, my family, uh, being immigrant, uh, being uh, one that comes from professional background, I don't think that I ever had a choice. Um, I needed to be a doctor because that was the expectation for me. I promised my grandmother that I would become a doctor to heal her, but that most likely was because my family was always talking to me about it and encouraging me and resourcing me in every which way. So um, I became a doctor, sure, because it ran in the family, sure, because it was an expectation. uh, But uh, I became a doctor uh, because this is what I needed to do uh, so that I can contribute to society much like my family expected
0: me to. Yeah, but you got to, my dad was a doctor. I'm like run screaming from the profession. I wanted to be a newscaster, a reporter. I wanted to be out in the field. And I was, well, this is my, I don't want to do this. You know, he had five kids. So I have four siblings. None of us became doctors, but I'm so impressed that you did. And he would be too. He was like, none of my kids became a doctor. But that said, you had a passion for it. And not only did you become a doctor, You had a business mindset. When did you first realize that there was going to be sort of a cosmic crash between your medical side of you and the entrepreneurial side of you?
1: Well, what was particularly and is particularly great about the medical profession is that it allows me to help a single individual but also impact an entire community. Very Mm -hmm. few professions give you that opportunity. And also very few professions are so dependent on the macro environment in which you need to operate if you don't have health insurance for one or do not have the ability to pay cash, I can't even see you in many circumstances, or even if I did as a doctor, if I ordered a medicine, if I ordered a CAT scan, if I ordered a referral or some procedure, you may not be able to get it. And once I did, let's say you were able to afford it and the follow-up is not reimbursed. And so the entire system didn't make sense to me. And as I was going through school, um, I was uh, able to uh, appreciate uh, that there was and needed to be a better way to deliver care. And because I didn't have any experience in the American healthcare system, I didn't have any bad habits, so to speak. I didn't have any preconceived notions. And I didn't have um, a um, uh, concern, uh, if that's the right word, as to making money in the traditional way. I just knew that in my community, in the Great Recession, which is the time that I founded of Health back in 2009 and started in 2010, that many of my friends and family and community and neighbor were losing their health insurance, did not have access to primary care, and that was feeding a vicious cycle in which now suddenly they couldn't support their family, they couldn't go to work, they, they couldn't help um, with uh, the, the home um, in all the different ways that uh, you need in order to thrive and achieve your dreams and aspiration. And so partly inspired by that and also by general entrepreneurial mindset um, and uh, you know, the fact that I wanted to create something that I could feel proud of referring my friends and families to is why I initially founded. And there was another complicating factor. None of the health insurance at the time wanted to give me a contract. So I just did it myself and just charge a capitated fee, $30 a month, and you get all the primary care you want included. And so that was very attractive. Soon hundreds of patients flocked to the clinic.
0: But you started this while you're in medical school. You, You started a primary care facility with very little help. And as you tried to expand talk about the challenges, as I understand it. Oh my gosh, you got yeah. approved for a loan by GE and then they pulled the loan?
1: Oh, and at the worst time, Liz, I got to tell you, <laughs> um, there was an abandoned circuit city uh, in this corner of uh, my hometown, Pembroke Pines, Florida, in Broward County. And the landlords were just basically giving away at least space at that time. And so I thought, well, I've got this one stop shop idea, better care coordination, much better quality and efficiency and lower cost for the underserved population. So I'm just going to go ahead and build it and they will come. But of course, in order to build it, I have no money. I just have student debt. And by the way, I had just gotten married too. Um, And so I decided Uh, Of course, well, I need a loan and uh, through my family self, I was able to get a loan from GE. And after I signed the lease, a 10-year lease for this 6,000 plus square foot, which at that time uh, was a just castle uh, of a place. GE pulled the loan and I had signed the lease, personally guaranteed, uh, gotten the the construction workers on the job. And so now what do I do? Well, I ended up uh, even giving away some of the gift cards that my wife and I got for a wedding. I sold practically everything that I had uh, in order to stitch together the funds to just get the clinic open. And then when you open it, well, then how do you hire staff? So um, doing every job you can think of, from front desk to medical assistance to working the the nights and and the weekends to to keep it uh, afloat. But I think also, Liz, in that hardship, you know, comes um, some of the greatest innovation because. I just didn't have a choice. Either uh, the business failed and that was never a choice or the family didn't eat. And of course I needed to provide for life for the family or the, the student loans didn't get paid and those needed to get paid and so forth. So um, as, as, as a result of all of that um, developed a, a model that was very consistent with the original idea of this capitated model, not sick care, not just, Pay me when you're sick. You know, flat fee, get all the care. And my incentive is to keep you healthy. Um, But I was able to innovate a lot of other components along the way in order to make ends meet.
0: This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. To me, this is a story of if I had to make an analogy, I think about the the album cover, I think it was Pil- I think it was Pink Floyd with the Kilroy was here. Forgive me if I'm wrong on that one, but gripping, hands gripping to a ledge, just simply not letting go. I mean, honestly, that to me is so scary. How many sleepless nights did you have?
1: Many sleepless nights. And I gotta tell you it was very tough on my marriage as well. <laughs> marriage to the first couple of years is tough. I'm now married 11 years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> about the time uh, that the uh, company has been uh, open, it just happened to uh, come in parallel. So when you add that stress, maxing out all credit cards, because that was part of the strategy, by the way. Uh, so how do you get the funds? Well, you sell everything you had, but mm-hmm. you max out my credit score into to like 500 um, or below that. <laughs> Um, I also went to uh, what would be charitably described as a long shark um, because I couldn't (laughs) make payroll. Uh, And uh, literally for a month, um, I think I had to pay 30% interest. Uh, uh, And that's just what you do to keep, the dream alive and because the service was superior, because patients were getting better, had no marketing budget, barely had staff, they were telling their friends and family about it and one after the other uh, were uh, coming and eventually got to the point uh, that they started asking me as a practitioner and others in the clinic, hey, I'm moving to Orlando, is there a kind of health there? I'm moving to South Carolina. Is there a town kind of health there? And while I always believed in uh, building something significant, giving back to this great country and in building America's primary care, that was the vision from day one, I didn't realize that the model so early on had this appeal and it was so necessary across The country until patients started asking. And at that point, I flipped into, uh, well, you know, we can't keep this the best kept secret. And this cannot just be the clinic to uh, be proud of and for friends and family. This is something we have a moral obligation to expand.
0: How many are there today?
1: Well, today uh, there is well over 80 county medical centers, and we have over a thousand. Um, clinical providers serving uh, over 140,000 capitated patients and 2 million plus patient visits per year.
0: I, I am so emotional about this. Uh, to offer at a fair price, this sort of one fee pays all, all you can eat. And, and do people still get the fancy equipment, if they need a special MRI or a sonogram? How how are you able to wrap your mind around and wrap your arms around the cost of providing all of these things at such a low price?
1: Well, actually, better. In most cases, we have proven data showing that our patients live longer, 60% lower mortality rate for the last four years. We've actually proven a 60% or so mortality rate uh, reduction for COVID specifically, not just in general. And we're doing mm-hmm. this in a low income, uh, more complex uh, to manage population in terms of a sicker population, um, historically less access to medical care. Um, and uh, With those hurdles uh, in mind, uh, you can appreciate by the quality metrics, uh, by the reduction in in hospital stays, uh, the improvement in MPS scores, and a number of other uh, data points that the care we provide is uh, significantly better because the incentive for us is not to uh, try to uh, have as many patients as possible through the mill. Um, It's not to do Uh, things to patients. It's what we do for the patients. And thus, it's not about having the cheapest equipment and having the most amount of patients, uh, but rather having the best equipment and and keeping those patients healthy because we're going to get a flat fee no matter what. And it's our pride professionally. It's our ethics professionally, but also our growth because patients are our number one referral source. Two thirds of our patients uh, come from other patients or other assigned resources, are not from our marketing and advertising that we do. And so for many clinical, professional, and business reasons, our patients are getting more timely care. They're getting a better quality care. And uh, yes, um, at at Cano, not only do we uh, put patients first and our physician uh, led um, and those, that example permeates throughout the organization. But we even have budgets uh, for low income and even charity care so that we can help the less fortunate because Liz, that's who we are as well. I was one of them uh, when I came to the country, a lot of um People helped me out. Uh, obviously, we have a great system uh, in this country, um, but a, a lot of other immigrants and, and minorities and majority and all of the population helped out so that I am here today. And I believe as a free market capitalist that basic health care is a right because without it, you cannot equitably, to your point, compete in a free market. Basic healthcare, And that is part
0: of the mission of Kindle Health. You can have both. You can be free market, capitalistic, start your own business. But in a first world, wealthy nation like our own, it is a disgrace that we do not have. What you are offering, we should let everybody know you've gone public. This is the holy grail to become a publicly traded stock. But with that come a bunch of headaches. But I have to tell our listeners, your company has a $2 billion market cap and you're already purchasing and acquiring other companies. You bought a company called University Healthcare for 600 million. You are a playa. I can't believe this. But but what kind of nightmares come from being the CEO of a publicly traded company? You got the quarterly reports. You got to schmooze the analysts and the shareholders. You know what about going back to that one-on-one doctor-patient? that what, what really made you a success in the first place? Do you still get to do that on occasion.
1: Sure, well, first let me say, I continue to practice at least once or twice a week or every other week. I continue to practice internal medicine. Uh, That's uh, my specialty. Uh, also uh, do Venus and lymphatic medicine. I went to the Cleveland Clinic um, and spent most of my time at the Cleveland Clinic in Florida. I wanted to be close to the family. We were apart uh, for a long time and I could not uh, bear to do that to my mother. Um, you probably have heard uh, of the stories uh, you know, from many other Cubans because of yeah. just uh, the uh, dynamics uh, oh, of sure. uh, how it was. Um, and uh, for example, my um, My wife's uh, parents lived uh, apart from their family uh, for nearly a decade, in fact, Mm -hmm. apart from their parents because they were Peter Pan. But that's a different story. But in any case, um, what I'm trying to say is uh, I will uh, never lose that um, uh, pulse on the organization and that touch with my patients because uh, that is something that is very important uh, to me. Um, and in terms of being a public company CEO, it's it's, it's not an easy job um, but um, it is nowhere as hard as it was in the early days of Cano. Uh, I have quarterly reports, but you know I've got capital, I've got assets, <laughs> I, I've got partners. Um, I don't have that. Day to day, food to put on the uh, table, an existential threat that I had early on in the company. And you know, thank God. And uh, actually, we, we filed uh, S bonds recently, so you, you'll get updated reports. And you know, I'll go through the different systems. But we've got a six billion dollar. Market cap. Um, we we are uh, targeting this year 1.4 billion to 1.5 billion in revenue and about 100 110 million in uh, EBITDA. And yes, uh, we have uh, made some recent uh, acquisitions. We'll continue to be particularly aggressive. What differentiates uh, us is that sure we build medical centers, but we also manage and acquire other medical centers that we plug in to the pop health platform. We've got this highly portable and scalable model of care that is not dependent on any one growth avenue. And that uh, is very exciting because we are doing uh, well by doing good and creating a lot of value for patients and shareholders.
0: It's it's an amazing story to me. And I, I look at what you have been able to accomplish and what you are doing, and it makes me a little Annoyed, actually. And and I say annoyed because I don't know why our country can't figure this out. I mean, you have done it. The Cleveland Clinic has done it. And my question becomes, can you get Washington's ear? Can you somehow figure out how we can stop arguing over Obamacare and bringing it and wasting everyone's time? It keeps getting rejected by the Supreme Court and upheld by the Supreme Court. Enough already. What is the answer, Marlene? and can you get in there and, and get it in front of people?
1: Yes, well, first and foremost, I do believe that um, there is an answer and I'm very proud that from the market's perspective, we are providing a part of that solution at CounterHealth. If we do two things, first, finally understand Uh, that as a people, basic healthcare is a right and not a privilege. And number two, that providers, yes, providers, physicians, must be accountable for healthcare outcomes. In other words, value-based care. You cannot continue to reward volume-based care you cannot continue to ignore the care coordination and, and population health that you need in order to get the right resources to the right patient and at the right time. And we have this track record in our own microcosm. We have less than 1% market share uh, throughout uh, the country. But as we have shown during COVID, we have shown uh, in, in various markets now in, in four states in and in a territory is that we can actually decrease medical loss ratios or the amount of money that we're spending for patient care by 20% or more. In fact, if we adopt as a country, a universal system with a value-based and yes, market-driven type of uh, architecture and system, we can decrease, in my view, um, the uh, significant gap that we have between America and the rest of the um, uh, G7 or other very uh, nations yeah. uh, in terms of per capita spending so that we can save literally trillions of dollars uh, over the next decade and beyond. So the answer is here, if you extrapolate the results that we and others have been able to achieve by applying uh, those two basic tenets that everybody deserves to be treated like family and that we must be accountable for healthcare outcomes and we're going to do it in a value based way, um, then uh, we are able to solve uh, probably the biggest single problem that we have as a country. I love this country and our uh, people. Uh, uh, fellow Americans deserve better. And I got to tell you, listing day, it was such a proud achievement for me as a naturalized citizen. I am culturally very proud, Latino and Cuban, and uh, our, our, uh, our company is 80% uh, minority serving, mostly minority, 80 plus percent of our patients are minorities. Um, so very proud culturally, but I am first and foremost an American. And as I was there in New York, uh, the uh, capital uh, of the world, the cradle of capitalism, freedom, and opportunity, and seeing the counter Health flag uh, in the New York Stock Exchange underneath mm. the American flags, that uh, was so emotional for me, because for that one day, counter Health was American, America was counter Health, and it just seemed like um, I was contributing to this great country. Um, So I think that uh, there are many of us, immigrant or not, minority or not, uh, that um, understand uh, that there is a basic model with uh, major research evidence that can solve uh, this runaway uh, healthcare cost with low quality to give more people a shot at the American dream. So that's what we're working on. That's what we'll continue to talk to the uh, politicians about. We'll do it from the market's perspective um, and we'll let the results speak for themselves.
0: Dr. Marlo Hernandez, I nominate you for health and human services secretary and then (laughs) president or both. That's amazing, (laughs) you're amazing. Thank you for telling your story of Cano Health and your incredible family and your immigrant story. It's everything, especially the parts of dealing with horrific fear and failure to create this multi-billion dollar company. Uh, thank you for sharing that with our Everyone Talks to Liz listeners. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much, Liz. Quite an honor.
0: For you guys, you come here once a week and you will hear the most valuable stories of inspiration aspiration and business all coming together. And I hope each time you listen to these, especially with Marlo, you realize if he could do it, so can I listen. Thank you once again. And I'll see you Monday through Friday, 3 PM. Eastern. It's the and countdown on the Fox business network. Have a great day.